0: Troll guy Scott, you know, you know what? It finally, got him blocked. Troll Scott. He's demanding that I change that song. He demands me cha- He demands that I change that song. That's Led Zeppelin when the levee breaks. Because he says it sounds like it's from the deep south, which it is. Like the original version, it's like from the 1920s. It's written about the Mississippi flooding. But that's Led Zeppelin, who is they're from england um doing a cover of that and he says this is charlotte that's not music from here so you shouldn't be playing that because it's from the deep south as if so like this is uh, scott's an idiot he's a bigot too so like this is like so for what we're not allowed to listen to any music except only music from charlotte which leaves us what exactly the avid brothers that's it right or does concord not count too? like do does it have to be charlotte specifically so that's what finally got Scott blocked, <laughs> just in case you're following any of that on the Twitter machine, which is at Pete Callender. You could follow. It's lots of fun. Bringing down the block hammer. Uh, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And the email is Pete at the dot com. So at the end of the last hour, went over some of the data uh, that indicates abortion was a decisive issue in the 2022 midterms. Namely, the Dobbs decision motivated Democrat voters, pro-choicers to get out and vote. And uh, there were pro-lifers who didn't uh, feel as energized anymore because the issue now has been settled. Um, David Harsani at The Federalist, he argues the opposite. He says Democrats exceeded expectations, but a fractured Republican Party just won the House and still has an outside shot at taking the Senate. Which this was written before This weekend, so the Senate is now lost uh, to the Democrats. The first term of an unpopular Biden presidency is now effectively over, save for, yes, the executive abuse. As expected, the lazy Dobbs sunk the GOP narrative, quickly solidified on the left. And here it is. He says, listen, if anybody had told conservatives 30 or 20 or even a year ago that the political price for overturning Roe v. Wade would mean taking back only one chamber of Congress. They would never have believed you. (laughs) So even if the left's tenuous claim that Dobbs saved them in 2022 is to be believed, the price for ridding the nation of the legal and moral abomination of Roe would be well worth it. That being said, it is a tenuous contention. He also looks at the CNN exit polls says, if you're to believe that, Democrats actually lost support among women when compared to 2018. AP, Fox News exit poll found 52% of voters were women back in 2018. 52% of women this year were, or, or, or voters were women also in this year. Uh, it's a myth that young people came out in droves. Democrats lost support among younger voters as well. It's true that pro-life voters lost abortion referendums including incomprehensibly one in Montana that would have compelled medical care for infants who are born alive. It's also true that numerous Republican candidates are either unable or frightened to articulate coherent pro-life views. These are problems for Republicans. But, on the other hand, Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, Brian Kemp, they all signed heartbeat bills, and they all won re-election. J.D. Vance, Mike Lee, they won, no problem. right? Adam Laxalt almost pulled off the upset against the incumbent Catherine Cortez Masto. And she made Roe v. Wade like the central argument of her campaign. Two House races uh, make the case for the, the Dobbs turned it all around for Democrats. And one of them was right here in North Carolina, Bo Hines versus Wiley Nickel. The other is Lauren Boebert versus Adam Frisch. Boebert is now ahead. Looks like she's going to win that. So that race is now out the window as some sort of bellwether for this issue. So that takes us to the 13th district here in North Carolina, Bo Hines versus Wiley Nickel. But Bo Hines had a whole bunch of other problems as a candidate, right? Seen as a carpetbagger. Bounced around all these districts, trying to find one to run in. it wasn't a it wasn't a believable candidacy. did It didn't seem like he was in it to serve. It just seemed like he was in it to win the race for himself, right? That's I mean that was the indication that I saw. But there's also something else going on here. Notice every Republican loss is always attributed to abortion, right? If you are examining the election results through this lens of of Dobbs and Roe v. Wade, then every time a Republican loses, oh, there you go, that's proof. But the reverse is never the case. How come when a Democrat loses, it's not because of Roe v. Wade? It's not because of the Dobbs decision. It's not because of the abortion issue. It's always the opposite, but never the other way. Like Zach Nunn in Iowa strongly pro-life candidate. He won. Um, a pro-life nurse practitioner in Virginia beat an incumbent. Her name was Jen Kiggins. The incumbent ran endless commercials on the abortion issue. She lost. What's up? We have no idea what the 2022 midterm environment would have looked like had the Supreme Court let Roe stand. It may well have depressed social conservative turnout. We don't know, right? What if the, what if the Supreme Court had come back and and upheld Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned Parenthood? What if they had allowed the regime to continue? Pro-lifers might have stayed home. Democrats may have had an equally good performance. I don't know. Elections are complicated, right? They're they're unique to their uh, regions, to their states. The candidates matter. There's little evidence, Harsani writes, that Dobbs produced a political earthquake or even that it changed very much at all. And then there was the youth vote. Right. Kids, I hate to break it to you, but it is a life lesson worth learning early. The bribe payment from GovCo is not coming. Sorry. They got your vote. And um, now the court struck down the bribe. Sorry talking, of course, about the student loan quote-unquote forgiveness. Federal judge, two days after the election, blocked Biden's student loan forgiveness plan in response to a lawsuit from the Job Creators Network Foundation. That is a conservative advocacy group. It filed a suit in October arguing that the Biden administration violated federal procedures by not allowing borrowers to provide public comment before the program was unveiled. So there's a regulatory process that was not followed. Um, The judge in the case, Mark Pittman, said no one can plausibly deny that it is either one of the largest delegations of legislative power to the executive branch or one of the largest exercises of legislative power without congressional authority in the history of the United States. Elaine Parker, the president of the Job Creators Network Foundation, said, quote, this attempted illegal student loan bailout would have done nothing to address the root cause of unaffordable tuition. Greedy and bloated colleges that raise tuition far more than inflation year after year while sitting on $700 billion in endowments. We hope that the court's decision today will lay the groundwork for real solutions to the student loan crisis. That was one of the other impacts on the red wave, right? Younger voters were promised, vote for us and you won't have to pay back all your student loans. Knowing full well, they were not empowered to do that. They had no constitutional authority to do it. But it didn't matter, as we discussed before the election. The whole point was to bribe the people to vote. It didn't matter if they had to pay the bribe or not. I mean, it's not their money, right? Didn't matter if they got smacked down in court as they just did. The point was to get the votes. And they did. So, sorry kids if you feel suckered. But again, better learn the lesson early than later. Um, I believe this band is from England as well. That's obviously not from Charlotte, so we're not allowed to play this music either, according to Scott the Troll. <laughs> the things people get worked up about. I tell you what. I tell you what. Like all these, all you know, these Twitter workers at the, that that got laid off, whatever. They're very upset that they're not getting free lunch. I'm not kidding. Uh, right. Yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Didn't anybody tell Twitter there's no free lunch? Anyway. Um, all right, so we're going over some of the many, many reasons why the red wave did not occur as everybody thought it would. Um, there is, let's see, I've gone over the women, i got gone over the Dobbs thing, and now, and, get, and we spent last week uh, talking about this, but, well, well, I guess it needs to... All right, let's just do it this way. Here we go. NBC News, I know, I know. NBC News is Sahil Kapoor, Kapoor, Kapur, whatever. Um, how did Democrats stop a red wave in 2022? The short answer: Donald Trump appears to have helped them in a major departure from past. Tra- so again, this is NBC News. I recognize, like you can, you don't even need to decipher the bias, right? It's, it's right out there in the open. Um, but listen to this. Uh, there's a there's a stat in here that I find to be intriguing. All right. In a major departure from past trends, the 2022 midterm election turned out to be nearly as much of a referendum on the defeated former president as it was on incumbent president Joe Biden. This is the the research that was done by Edison Research for NBC News and other networks. And again, Edison Research is a credible uh, survey company. Trump loomed large in the minds of voters and dragged down his party's candidates nationally and in key swing states with Senate races, despite being out of power. Again, I recognize this is NBC News, okay? But there's a point that they, they omit, and I'm going to get to that, which I think is really what is driving this. In many cases, Trump's numbers blunted the impact of Biden's unpopularity. And widespread economic pain, helping Democrats defy political gravity and hold their own. Nationally, here it is, nationally, 32% of voters in this election said their vote was to oppose Joe Biden. One third said, I'm here to vote against Biden. Even though he's not on the ticket, I'm voting against Biden. 28% said they were there to oppose Donald Trump. Even though he's out of office. Neither one of them is on the ballot. But a third say, I'm here to oppose Biden, and 28 percent, almost as much, much say they're there to oppose Trump. That suggests that Trump's continued dominance over the GOP made this election, in the mind of voters, almost as much about a defeated former president as it was about the current president and the current party in power. And this is what Mitch McConnell was talking about. We're just running on a referendum against Biden. Remember, like he said— Uh, When was it? Last December. Let me see. I have it in the stack of stuff. Here it is. Yeah. December. Mitch McConnell has told colleagues and donors Senate Republicans won't release a legislative agenda before next year's midterms. Every midterm cycle, there are Republican donors and operatives who argue the party should release a positive, proactive governing outline around which candidates can rally. McConnell adamantly rejects this idea. Preferring to skewer Democrats for their perceived failures, and he says, "Look, this is what we did before. It was like 2014. Remember the glory days? We did it back in 14. We're going to do it again, right?" Well, problem: you didn't have a president that had lost and was, you know, sort of in exile on the uh, on the Isle of Elba or whatever, Mar-a-Lago, right? He's not. You didn't have a president sort of waiting in the wings. You didn't have a president who just lost and is still doing rallies, is still endorsing candidates. That's not happening. And there's and there's a chance he's going to come back. This is a I mean I think people are overlooking the unique situation that we are in. This has never recurred before in my lifetime, right? I'm not aware of any similar circumstance where right? I mean the only other president that lost after one term was George H.W. Bush. And, and he was done. He was like, I'm out. Not going to run again. Wouldn't be prudent. He, he, he was out. And he didn't do rallies. He didn't do speeches. He wasn't on, you know, social media or whatever at the time. Comparable. Um, this, so it's a unique situation. And McConnell's approach is lacking, was lacking, because of that very reason, too. He's like, oh, we're just going to make it a referendum on the incumbent. Yeah, slight problem. The last incumbent is still out there too, and so people are looking at both. Of them. we're only two years out. If if Trump had not so to this point, if Trump had not stayed engaged as he has, and I'm not saying he shouldn't or should, or should have, it's irrelevant to me. the The point here is that he did stay engaged, and had he not, I wonder if the red wave would have happened. I wonder if they would there would have been better results for. Uh, more Republicans had people kind of forgotten about Trump for a while. Independent voters uh, made up 31% of the electorate and they favored Democrats over Republicans by a margin of 49 to 47. So it's very close. Again, these are just independents who make up a third of the electorate, just under a third. And it's basically evenly split, 49, 47. But that's a problem for Republicans. Why? Because in the last four midterm election cycles, the party out of power usually has the support of independence by double digits. Negative views of Biden did not correlate with voting GOP. The 10 percent of voters who say they, some, they somewhat disapprove of Biden narrowly broke for Democrats over Republicans. Biden's job approval rating. positive, 55% negative. But that's actually better than Trump's. He's at 39 favorable, 58 negative. Among the 58 who had an unfavorable view, three quarters of them supported Democrats and 20% voted for GOP candidates. Uh, NBC exit polls show Americans' votes were closely correlated to the 2020 party preference. Unlike in past midterms, where many swing voters who supported the president switched to the opposition party. In addition, Democratic enthusiasm was relatively high. They attribute that to a number of factors, including the Dobbs decision. Not all Republicans blame Trump for the losses. And I'm not, that's not what I'm doing here either. I'm pointing out this is a very unique situation that we were all in. And I'm surprised I don't hear people, I mean, not even this piece at NBC makes, makes this point. The very fact that we I mean because they this is the problem with Trump derangement syndrome, right? Everybody who views everything through the the lens of Trump, good, trump, bad that you can't see the forest here for the you know the big, beautiful orange tree right in the middle. no, I'm kidding, but the the forest here is that there was no data about what to expect when you have any president who gets ousted after one term. Hangs around in the political environment, indicating he's going to run again, continuing to fundraise, continuing to do rallies, continuing to do endorsements. We didn't have anything to judge this off of. So now that being said. The leadership of the Republican Party needs to go. I mean, (laughs) uh, they just they need to go. Uh, It's. What is it here? Calls grow for the GOP to stop McCarthy from becoming House Speaker. Who could replace him? Maybe Lee Zeldin? Hey, uh, Thursday. Thursday. Thursday, Thursday. Charlotte Auto Show returns. 29th year. Charlotte Convention Center. Brett Winterbull is going to be down there broadcasting at 3 o'clock. It's also Hero Day. Where uh, active military and veterans, along with first responders, teachers, folks in the medical community, uh, show an ID. Suppressive. Uh, show an ID, and you get in for free for Hero Day, Thursday. And uh, check out Electric Avenue, and uh, they got the family fun zone. So bring the kids. You can check out the new cars, all the latest and greatest stuff. Dozens of manufacturers displaying the latest makes and models. It's a no pressure environment. You can check out the luxury, exotic brands, like Volkswagen. No, you, oh, they're all there. Like, everybody's there, all of them. So go check it out. The uh, Charlotte Auto Show, again, Thursday through Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh righty, so where was I here? Oh, calls grow for the GOP to stop McCarthy. This is from Richard Bledsoe at Western Journal. Uh, he cites Politico's playbook, reporting that McCarthy's support uh, issues is the issues he's having gaining support is a case of deja vu speaker john boehner retired in 2015 mccarthy wanted the position then but he saw his plans derailed by the house freedom caucus <laughs> In the years since, McCarthy has tried to ingratiate himself with more conservative House members, such as Ohio Representative Jim Jordan. But there are doubts about his leadership. Russ Vaught is the president of the Center for Renewing America, and he explained McCarthy's difficult position. Uh, With the narrow majority Republicans are likely to wind up with, it would not take many defectors to block McCarthy from winning the election for speaker, he said. And as Politico has already pointed out, one obstacle for the House Freedom Caucus is determining who is a viable alternative to McCarthy. One Twitter poll overwhelmingly favored Jordan over McCarthy, but I doubt Jordan would be able to pull the votes necessary from all of his fellow Republicans, right? Right. So you gotta find a third option. I've seen Andy Biggs, his name uh getting tossed around. Chip Roy from Texas, he has also uh hinted at he has an interest in this as well. Thomas Massey from Kentucky. Um, the Ukrainian president, I believe. Uh he's uh he might be one of them that's in the running. So just a joke. He's not really. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Anytime you talk about this, you always have to throw in the the caveat you know that it doesn't even need to be a member of the house who's the speaker of the house so they could put somebody else in there and then you get all these crazy ideas kicked around but at the end of the day it's always going to be yes somebody from the house now north carolina history teaches us that uh when the house is so evenly divided like this shenanigans occur lots and lots of shenanigans Bribes in the bathroom at the IHOP off I-85 in Salisbury to make people switch their parties, to vote for leadership posts, to have dual speakers, co-speakers, or stereo speakers, they they were calling it back then. This was about 10—well, no, it would have been before 2010, so this was when the Republicans first started getting close to flipping the uh, the General Assembly. So I guess it would have been somewhere around the 08, 09 or maybe earlier time frame, And the house speaker was Jim black from Mecklenburg County. And, uh, he lost, uh, the majority. And so he entered into a deal with, um, well, lots of people, he cut lots of deals. He got in a lot of trouble. He went to federal prison for different things. But, um, the, the one I'm talking about was Michael Decker, who was a Republican and it was conveniently titled the black and Decker scandal, Jim black, Michael Decker. And, uh, Decker took a bunch of money and got his son a post inside the Cultural Resources Commission, if I recall correctly. And uh, in doing so, uh, in exchange, Decker changed his party. So Republicans lost the majority. They had a one-seat majority. They lost the majority. That gave the majority to the Democrats. They named Jim Black the speaker. Decker later would then... Deregister register from the Democrats, if I recall correctly, and then just served out the rest of his time as a, I don't know if he went back to being a Republican or not, maybe after an, yeah, no, I think he went to unaffiliated or something, but he, he was gone. He was kind of a, an odd guy I'm told. Um, but yeah, he got in trouble too. Um, So that's the kind of shenanigans that can happen. Remember the other one uh, Rush called them jumping Jim Jeffords. Remember him? Yeah. He was the Republican when the Republicans won the Senate. Right. For the first time in like decades, I think this was like early on George W. Bush. They finally get a majority in the Senate and jump in Jim Jeffords from like Vermont or something, I forget, or New Hampshire. He deregisters as a Republican so they can't hold the majority. Now, I've seen people start suggesting things like that with Joe Manchin. I doubt that's going to happen. It might. I doubt it. I don't make those types of predictions. But honestly, it's so rare that that happens the other way. It's always, not always. It's I mean, a lot of times. It's at the national level, Republicans deregistering and becoming Democrats or something in order to screw over the GOP. <laughs> I don't understand why they do it so much, but they do. Um, whatever happens, many agree there needs to be a major shakeup of the Republican power structure. Representative Matt Gates of Florida identified. McCarthy, as one of the three problems, they're calling them the three mix. Have you heard this? The three mix? McCarthy, McConnell, and McDaniel. Ronna McDaniel, the the Republican National Committee chairwoman. The three mix, called out, are the ones responsible for the disappointing midterms, says Gates. By tampering with funding and ignoring election integrity, the Republican national leadership did almost as much as the Democrats to stifle the expected red wave. McCarthy does not deserve a promotion. The last thing the Republicans need is to adopt the Democrats' practice of failing upwards. Lee Zeldin mentioned New York and the five districts that performed really, really well for Biden and flipped this time around for Republicans. Lee Zeldin is getting a lot of credit. As such, his name is now being tossed around as a potential leader for the RNC. He lost a surprisingly close race for governor last week. But he has spoken with GOP elected officials and party activists who want him to run for the chairmanship of the RNC. This, according to his media consultant, Jonathan Allen, reporting at NBC News, quote, he has received calls from around the country. It's likely that he will at least explore it. He's fielding calls, talking to people, listening to them. But it has not gone beyond that, said John Brabender, 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 whatever. Uh, RNC chair. That's the media guy. His, uh, Lee Zeldin's media guy, RNC chair Ronna McDaniel has not said whether she's going to seek re-election. Please don't at the party's winter meeting in January, nor has Tommy Hicks, the co-chair under the party's rules. Did you know this? Under the GOP rules, the top two posts have to be held by one man and one woman. I thought that was interesting. They have a quota. The GOP has a quota for their uh, for their two leaders. Yeah. Anyway, Zeldin, a four-term House member from Long Island, lost to Democratic Governor Kathy Huckle, Huchel, Huckle, Huckle, it is, uh, 53 to 47 percent in a state that Trump lost by 22 points. A lot of Democrats have pointed to Zeldin's overperformance at the top of the ticket as a force in helping Republicans flip four House seats in the state. Most notably, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairman Sean Patrick Maloney, Rick Scott and Lindsey Graham over in the Senate, they are saying we need to delay any kind of a leadership vote in the Senate until after the Georgia runoff because, well, of course you should. <clears throat> yeah, because of course you should. Because if Herschel Walker wins, then he doesn't get to vote in that. And if Herschel Walker ends up, let's say let's say Walker wins like 80% to 20% over Raphael Warnock in a runoff. I think you should make him the uh, leader of the Senate. Don't you think so? You never know. I mean, he could pull that off. Maybe. (laughs) All right. And this brings me finally to Republicans need an early vote strategy. I mentioned this last week. I briefly touched on it at the beginning of the program. But Ben Dominich from the Federalist. Now he's at uh, Spectator World, actually. Spectator World, editor-at-large, Ben Dominich whose wife, by the way, is, yes, uh, Megan McCain, uh, he said Republicans have to formulate an early vote strategy if they want future victories. And this is so true. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Ben Dominich, Spectator World editor at large, says Republicans have to formulate an early vote strategy if they want future victories after the 2022 midterms. While Republican detractors decry the idea of a COVID-induced election month, Democrats in states like Pennsylvania banked hundreds of thousands of votes before the debate between Fetterman and Oz. And public opinion shifted in favor of Oz. But Fetterman's campaign and the Democrats had already banked so many mail-in ballots, it didn't matter. And you may not like the rules. I don't either. Ben Dominic doesn't like them. But these are the rules. It's the same thing I said about the Electoral College and the Democrats, you know, constant kvetching over the uh, the Electoral College. We want a popular vote. When we don't like the Electoral College. Well, OK, but those aren't the rules. You're playing for a different outcome, right? This isn't like how many hits do you get? It's how many runs you score. That's what wins the game. And right now, the rules are like in what Washington or, or it is, Pennsylvania. He says they got 50 days to vote. That's nuts. 50 days to vote. Republicans need to have an early vote strategy regardless of all the different storylines that I think you can draw about this election and what went on. The narratives, I think, that we have to agree at this point. These COVID-based policies of early voting that essentially create months-long periods where people are voting in Pennsylvania for 50 days, the GOP must work within the confines of the new rules, and those rules do allow ballot harvesting, not in North Carolina, because, I mean, that was fine it was fine before, but now the Democrats are, like, they're warming up to this idea. So I'm sure it's just a matter of time. Uh, in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott won re-election over Beto O'Rourke. And uh, Governor Abbott had a, a robust early vote strategy. These are the rules. This is how the game is being played. And I understand that people are like, oh, I don't like these rules. I'm going to vote on Election Day, and that's the way it should be. But the rules allow for longer periods of time. And Republicans need a ground game strategy to go out and get as many early votes as possible to prioritize it and to start doing what Democrats do in order to, quote, help people vote. Helping them vote. And I'm thinking you target certain places, certain places where Republicans might, I don't know, gather, right? Like the villages. Seriously. Like retirement communities, golf courses and the like. I'm not saying all golfers are Republicans. Hashtag not all golfers. But I'm saying you go where your are your, uh, you know, your people are and you go get them to vote early. And when they're like, oh, I don't want to vote early. Like, why? Is there a chance you're not going to vote for the Republican? And I, Because I understand the argument is that, well, something late might happen. Okay, well, if something late happens, you don't get that vote back. That is true. That is true. But here's the thing. If everybody votes early, or more people, I should say, vote early, then you can spend more time going after the people who haven't voted but are persuadable that you can kind of make it easier, like, oh, we'll get you to the polls, or here's a ballot, like, The people who aren't your typical A voters, right? These are called uh, A voters, the ones that that vote in the primaries, they vote in midterms, they vote in the general, and they're solid R or D, A voters. Then your B voters and your C, you get your C voters, you put a ballot in their hand and say, like, here's how you do this. You run those types of, you know, assistance operations for Republicans. You get more people voting for you. That's what Democrats have been doing. But Republicans don't play this game for some reason. And they used to kill it, by the way, in the absentee game. They used to. So, uh, all right, let me do this real quick. because This is just hilarious to me. It all started when a guy named Bill Gruskin, that's his name, tweeted a New York Times story called uh, uh, Two Weeks of Chaos inside Inside Elon Musk's Takeover of Twitter. And he has a poll quote that says, Mr. Musk plans to begin making employees pay for lunch which had been free at the company cafeteria. So Twitter employees, not only do they pull down you know six figure salaries or whatever, but they're also getting the free calf, really. Gruskin is a professor, he's a leftist at uh, Columbia College, or sorry, Columbia Journalism School. and I uh, worked at a bunch of different newspapers. So then this gets quoted by a guy named Andrew Wortman, his name, leftist activist. And he said he fired three quarters of the employees, and now he's planning to starve the rest of them. He's failure incarnate. He's going to starve. So he's going. Elon Musk is starving the Twitter employees by making them pay for the cafeteria food they consume. So this one, so this other person named Niche Gamer says, this is all on Twitter." Says maybe they should learn to cook, learn to code, learn to cook. Elon Musk says, "Especially bizarre, given that almost no one came to the office, <laughs> so they're running this cafeteria." And everyone's working from home. This is nuts. Oh, by the way, you see all the other tech companies? They're all laying people off now, too. Yeah, yeah. But Spaceman, bad. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.